Well, big thanks to the Miller family for this week's children's moment, and I think Hendrix and Cairo make quite the team, if I do say so myself. And um, I'm excited uh, in, to let you know in two weeks, on January the 30th, uh, Brother Elijah Anthony from the Roosevelt City Church of Christ will be here as a guest uh, preacher for us, and uh, we are going to swap pulpits. So on that day, I'm going to go over to Roosevelt City. He's going to come here. And as we continue our partnership between our two churches, very thankful for that opportunity. Uh, if you have your Bible, please be opening to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, if you're new to Homewood or maybe you've uh, been out the past few weeks, uh, we've been in a series that we're calling Grow. And this is really a great time for you to join us and be a part uh, of this series because we are re- walking through our mission, which is to make and grow followers of Jesus and focusing on these core commitments that you see behind me on the stage and and really trying to impress upon one another uh, what this means and what this looks like in our lives. And so uh, last week we explored the commitment to worship regularly. And this week I want us to consider what it means to connect with God, that we don't just uh, stumble into following Jesus. Uh, but we take intentional steps to follow him. Just in the same way, if you were uh, following someone else uh, down the road or uh, on a trail, or you would take intentional steps. talked about uh, following Jesus meant a few things. It meant that we uh, become like him, that we do what he did, uh, that we uh, begin to follow him so closely that literally the, the dust of his sandals gets on to us. And so in a culture that says the complete opposite, no, you, you follow you, you do you, and you, this is counter to what we hear every day. So this radical message is something that we need to remind ourselves of every single day of our lives. And one of the things that you'll hear me say uh, every week during this series is that this is not a checklist of things to do for you to have this good status as a Christian. This is not, okay, if I, if I check these things off and then, then I'm good and I can move on and go about my life. Uh, that's, that's not what this is about. And so uh, if you're, if you're tempted to, to hear that, uh, I just want you to capture that thought and make it obedient to Christ and, and realize that that's not what we're talking about here. Um, For some of you, as we practice the way of Jesus, uh, you may say, and I've heard this before, is that, you know, when I I worship on Sundays, uh, I get filled up, it it recharges my my spiritual uh, batteries, and then when I go out into the week, it's just, it's hard. The other six days of the week, uh, it's hard uh, for me to connect with God. Uh, I don't know if anybody relates to that. I know that there's uh, times in my life, even, even though this is quote unquote what I do for a living, there, there's times where that, that becomes difficult and challenging. You know, how do we connect with God every day? Uh, I'm grateful that you're here and this, this may be, or joining us online, this may be uh, the next step that we talked about last week. You just commit to worshiping regularly. Uh, but as, as we continue to move into the other six days of the week, what does connecting with God look like? Uh, I mean, between work or, or school or, uh, or even band or, or if you have kids, uh, you know, or, uh, you know, dropping people off here and there or, or having to get to this meeting or that meeting or having to do this or having to do that. Or um, maybe you 
play a lot of pickleball. I don't know what you do, like, that just keeps you busy uh, throughout the week. Um, but this, this can be a difficult task for us uh, in, in the ways that we connect with God. And Jesus, here's what I'm convinced of, could have been uh, the busiest human that ever walked the face of this earth. I mean, everybody wanted a piece of his time. Everybody. I mean, you, you think that you uh, are a good teacher or people have told you that you're a good teacher. Jesus was the best teacher. And almost everybody wanted to hear what he had to say. And so a lot of times we'll read in scripture, you know, he went somewhere and there's a crowd that followed. Like, there's, that doesn't happen to me. When I go somewhere by myself, there's, I don't turn around and then there's, you know, you know 5,000 people. Jesus was followed, sometimes with good intentions, sometimes with not so good intentions. Uh, you may think you're a good doctor or a good member of the medical profession. Almost everybody wanted to come to Jesus to be healed. You might have a lot of people walk through your doors. You might have a lot of people that, that come into your office if you're in the medical profession. But there's a lot of people that were knocking down the doors of Jesus. Uh, you may think that uh, you have a lot of mouths to feed in your house. I was laughing with Lainey uh, last week. I was, because I'd, I'd fed one and then another, and I was like, how many kids do we have? Like, like there's just, there's just, I mean, it just keeps like, seems like it's multiplying. Uh, he had to feed sometimes 5,000, 10,000, sometimes thousands of people Jesus was feeding. So when we think about the life of Jesus, we asked, we asked ourselves the question, how did he do it? How did he stay connected with the Father? I want us to take just a brief survey, and we're going to try to stay as chronological as we can through the, through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I ask you to open to the, the Gospel of Mark. And if you want to stay in Mark, uh, that's where we'll be most often. About half of these are in the shortest Gospel, the Gospel of Mark. And I want you to just see these for yourself. And I just want to allow these to, to marinate in your, your brain as, as we move forward in today's message. So we'll start in Mark chapter 1 and verse 12. At once the Spirit sent him, Jesus, in, out into the desert. And he was in the desert 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Mark 1.35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Scripture goes on to say that everyone was looking for Jesus. But after this time in prayer, he told his disciples that it was time for them to move on to another village. Luke chapter 5. Despite Jesus' plea that his miracles be kept secret, the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Mark 2. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. And some of y'all say, See, preacher, I'll be following Jesus to the lake. And I, okay. Mark 3, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd followed from Galilee there. Luke 6, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray. He spent the night praying to God, and when morning came, he called his disciples to him. Matthew 13, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. 
Matthew 14. When Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been beheaded, he withdrew by boat privately into a solitary place. Mark 6. Because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. He, Jesus, said to, to them, his disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Matthew 14. After he, Jesus, had dismissed them, the crowds, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Mark 7. He, Jesus, entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. Luke 9. Once when Jesus was praying in private, and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? Matthew 15, Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat down there. John 7, after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then brothers had gone up to the feast, then Jesus, not publicly, but in private, Here's what I want you to catch on this one. Jesus walked about 90 miles from Galilee to Jerusalem, presumably having about five days of solitude. Luke 11, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. John 10. Again, they, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, sought to arrest him, Jesus, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again, walking about five miles across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. Mark 10. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Apparently, before he took the 12 aside, he was on a 22-mile hike. Anybody ever been on a 22-mile hike? And back in chapter 9, Luke says that he was resolute, and he told them that he'd be tortured and killed. The disciples had sung a hymn. They went out to the Mount of Olives. We read in Luke 22 that this was Jesus' usual place where he went to pray when he was in Jerusalem. Mark 14, 32, they went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. In reading through the gospels, you and I would be hard pressed to make the case that Jesus was lazy. You and I would be hard pressed to make the case that he was not a person of action. Yet we also have to acknowledge the overwhelming evidence that he practiced solitude and silence in the midst of a very active ministry. Ruth Haley Barton in her book, Invitation to Solitude and Silence, Experiencing God's Transforming Presence says this, and when we sit quietly in God's presence, the sediment that is swirling in our souls begins to settle. We don't have to do anything but show up and trust the spiritual law of gravity that says, be still 
and the knowing will come. I thought about this morning a snow globe because there was talk of of snow today and there's talk of snow again at the end of this week. But how just when you shake up a snow globe, there's this whirling, there's this stirring, there's this sediment that is, is inside the snow globe that is fluttering all around. And I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where I feel this stirring, this stirring. Things going on with, with work, got things going on with kids, got things going on with family out of state, I got things, and, and there's, there's, there's a swirling going on. And the only way for the snow globe to settle is for you to set it down and for it to be still. And so often we, we live lives where there's just, the, the snow globe is constantly being shaken up. We wake up in the morning, we start scrolling and the snow globe starts, starts stirring. Boom, boom, boom. And our souls start absorbing more than they were made to absorb. And all of a sudden there's, there's 15 things going on in the world things that you will never even be close to that now you are aware of and now your soul is, is restless because all these things are happening. The snow globe of life is a reality for all of us, most of us, that is constantly being shaken, it's constantly being stirred. And solitude and silence are called spiritual practices because we don't automatically know how to do this very well. Uh, I remember, you know, playing basketball in high school. And I remember the, the two-hour practices every afternoon, sometimes longer than that. I remember the practices where we didn't even touch a basketball. It was purely a defensive practice. And so we were practicing how to guard and how to space between defenders. And we were practicing boxing out and and just the, the instinctiveness that you have when the ball goes up that you want to go toward the ball. But no, 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 when the ball goes up, you find somebody and you, you box them out and then you go get the ball. And just over and over and over again, these practices that we were doing. And then we finally got into a, a game and, and I only started one game my whole, my whole high school career. I only started one game. And I got into that game and, and we had not played particularly well. I don't think it was just because I was in, but, but we had not played particularly well. And we got to the locker room at halftime. And the coach, and the coach, first halves of basketball I've ever seen. The only thing we did well is Walters boxed that guy out that one time. And if you knew my coach, that was like the greatest compliment that I, the greatest compliment. But for him to point at me and say, yeah, that Walters boxed that one guy out that one time, that was like, you know, I was, I was living off that for the rest of the season. You know, that's all I needed. But why did I box that guy out? Because I practiced it over and over and over again. And when, we t- when we're talking about, and here's the, the tendency, when we talk about silence and solitude, when we, when we look at the life of, of Jesus and we see how he practiced this over and over and over again, and we think, you know, yeah, I, that's, that's great for Jesus, but I, I don't know if I, I can't do that. I can't, 
I can't go there. I mean, you don't understand everything that's going on. And and we start coming up with all these things. And I want to call us back to practice this morning. I've become more and more convinced that slowing down and practicing silence and solitude through prayer is crucial to following Jesus. I'll say it this way, is that we grow when we slow. And church, this doesn't have to look super spiritual. I mean, just this week, I mean, there was a lot of heaviness that had just gone on in, in ministry this week. And I was over here in the office and I, I just decided, you know, it was, it was time just to, to leave the office, sometimes just getting out. And I walked out in the parking lot. I called a friend. We talked for a few moments. And then I went down to the lower field, which is on the back of our campus, and just, just had some alone time. Were there people looking for me? Maybe. I don't know. I guarantee it wasn't many people that were looking for Jesus, but just to go down there and, and just commune, just to be with God, just to, to be in that presence. A lot of times we think that this, this is some, you know, got to be some super spiritual kind of thing that we, we enter into. And, and sometimes it's just the simplicity of being still and knowing. The Oxford Dictionary defines the word sacred as connected with God. Considered to be holy. I don't know about you, maybe, maybe your next step is to just establish some sacred space. Again, Ruth Haley Barton says that sacred space is a, a physical place. Scripture says that Jesus went to a certain place. Sacred space is a place in time. And sacred space is a place in our soul. And so uh, my certain place used to literally be a big rock right down here at Moss Rock on the trail. You could walk in just, uh, just you know, sometimes when I was driving home from work, I would just stop off and, and walk very few steps in this trail. There's this big rock and I'd just sit there, sometimes 10 minutes, sometimes 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And that was my, that was my certain place, a big rock. Maybe your certain place is, is just turning your chair in your office toward the window for a few minutes a day. Uh, maybe your certain place is, is a, a place in, in your, your home that you go to. Maybe, maybe it's, it's your bathroom. I don't know where your certain place is your bathroom. I don't know where your certain every time. It doesn't mean, let's not get legalistic about this, it's, it's, but there's just a place that you go. Maybe you try it this week and, and you think, you know, I didn't get anything out of that or God didn't speak to me or I'm awful at this sort of thing. I want us to remember that the purpose of solitude and silence is just to be with God. As my friend Randy Harris would say, just to waste time with God. And you know what I did not think of when, when I went down to the lower field uh, this, this week and I was walking back up to the office? You know what I didn't think? Well, man, that was, a, that was a waste of time. Time. I wish I wouldn't have intentionally taken steps to, to be with God. I wish I wouldn't have done that. I've never, I've walked away times and said, you know what? I, I'm not sure what, what was said during that time. I'm not sure what, I, there's, there's times I've walked away with it, but I've never walked away and said, I can't believe I did that. We never 
read in scripture of Jesus regretting the time that he spent with his father. I want us to also be aware of the enemy's plot to distract. Here's what I found is that if the enemy knows that we're going to a certain place, if the enemy knows that we're setting aside a certain time, if the enemy knows, he's oftentimes going to try to counterattack. Uh, I, I remember I had this grand plan uh, when the kids were really little. I was like, okay, mornings kind of start early and all that, so I'm going ba- to back up. I'm going to get up, get up earlier. I'm going to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I'm going to have some, I'm going to have my quiet time. So the first day I get up at 4 o'clock, I'm sitting in the recliner downstairs, and here comes the footsteps down the stairs at 4.01. And I'm like, oh, okay, all right. Well, let's get, get everybody back to bed and all this stuff. So, so the next day I say, okay, well, all right, there's, let's, let's try 5 o'clock. So I'm going to get up at 5 o'clock. I get up at 5 o'clock. I go down, sit on the recliner. I mean, this is a true story. 5.01 footsteps down. I don't know if I'm being too loud or what, but, I mean, they're just coming down. You know, and then the next day, I, I tried it three days. The next day, at 6 o'clock, I tried it, and here comes the footsteps. And I would never insinuate that, that my kids are a part of the enemy's great scheme. All right, I would, never, I would never insinuate that at all. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that distraction is a real thing, right? I mean, distraction is a real deal. I mean, it's like the, the, the monk who said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit down and I'm going to say uh, the, the, the Jesus prayer, you know, just without distraction. And anytime I get distracted, I'm going to start over. So, you know, the Jesus prayer, Jesus, Son of God, you know, Lord, Lord have mercy on me, a, a sinner. You know, and so he, he would start, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And he kept just having to go back to it because he'd get distracted after one word every time. And this is, this is how, how life is for us. We get distracted often. And so I don't want you to get distracted. I want to encourage us to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And so I know when I'm in, in silence or solitude and I, I receive what, uh, what is an accusation or, or what is uh, you know, a, a feeling of guilt about something that I've, I've done, I realize that that's an accusation from the enemy. Yet when it's a conviction from the Holy Spirit, my counselor, my advocate, I realize that that's something that I need to pay attention to. That's something that I need to change in my life. And sacred space is not this license to passivity, but rather it's a very active part of our lives that compels our next steps. So as we reflect on Martin Luther King Jr. tomorrow and his legacy in the civil rights movement, I'm reminded of his words in his book, Strength to Love, a collection of his most requested sermons. King said this, the idea that man expects God to do everything leads inevitably to a callous misuse of prayer. For if God does everything, man then asks him for anything and God becomes little more than a cosmic bellhop who is summoned for every trivial need. Or God is considered so omnipotent and man so powerless that prayer is a substitute for work and intelligence. So yes, we, we grow when we slow, but I also want to encourage us to think about how we grow when we know that Jesus knew the scriptures. 
in the verse we read a few moments ago that he was, when he was tempted in the wilderness, we're reminded how he responded to each one of those temptations. As it is written, he said. And he, he hid the word of God in his heart, as Hendricks and Cairo pointed out to us a few moments ago. He hid the word of God in his heart in Psalm 119. And I want to encourage us as a church family, as a faith family, that we be a church that is in the word, that we be a church that is continuing to allow the word of God to be hidden in our hearts. And, and I just want to challenge us, if you've, if you've never read through the Bible, uh, 2022 would be a great year to do that. Uh, and, and there's a lot of ways to do that, and maybe you have a reading plan that you uh, participate in. Uh, there's a, a great, you know, there's a lot of reading plans on the Uversion Bible app. A lot of you have used that before. Uh, the Bible Project, the Bible Recap, there's, there's a lot of great plans on there. And I just want to encourage you to, to commit this year uh, to reading through God's Word. And part of our Vision 2030 as we think about spiritual formation is that we want it to be a church that was going to read through a million chapters of the Bible between now and the next eight years. And if that's something that you are already committed to or something that you are willing to commit to, uh, we want to encourage you in that. And actually today you can go on to the online connection card, that QR code in, in the pew rack in front of you, and you can just type in your name and say, yes, I commit to reading through the Bible in 2022. And we want to do that together. It's a very easy, easy opportunity for you to participate in that. And that, we're not going to come to your house and make sure you're doing that every night. We, we just want to encourage you to be in the Word. To be in the Word. Be with us. And I would invite you to do that right now if you're willing to commit to that. Or if you're watching online and you're willing to commit to that, click on that online connection card. Type in your name and just say, click on yes. Yes, I'm willing to participate in reading through the Word this year. So a few things I want us to consider just as we think about connecting with God this week is that one, read the Bible through in 2022. Uh, I would encourage you to think about that. Uh, the second one that I would encourage you to think about is to find a certain place, is to to find a, a sacred space this week and to just, just experiment with it, just practice. And I'm not saying you can, it's going to work out great the first time or the second time, but just, just try finding a, a place, a certain place this week. And then lastly, I want to encourage you to consider joining us for our Tuesday midday prayer. We have been doing Tuesday morning prayers this past year, and uh, we are making a little bit of a switch. Uh, we're going to go to, to midday, so instead of 6 a.m. on Tuesday mornings, we're going to gather in here at noon on Tuesdays. Uh, some of you, that may be a little, little better for your, your biological clock uh, to be in here at noon. Uh, you can join online. We're going to live stream those. Maybe you can't catch it at noon and you want to catch it that evening or the next morning. Uh, it'll be recorded and you can participate in that time. Uh, we're going to set aside about 30 minutes on Tuesdays. And maybe you come on your lunch break, maybe you tune in on your lunch break, maybe you take that as a time to, to not just pray, but also fast, setting aside food for a few moments every day so that you can focus on God. And we want to invite you, we don't want to just 
say, hey, do this. We want to participate in this with you. And so Tuesday midday prayer would be a great opportunity for you to do that. So we'll send out some more information on our email about Tuesday midday prayer. At this time, I want to invite us as believers to pull out our communion elements. Hopefully you receive those on the way in. Uh, if you did not receive a communion packet, uh, we have some down front. Frank here on this side and Craig on this side will be happy to bring you one. If you'll just slip your hand up, we'll be happy to give you a communion packet uh, to participate in that with us today. On the eve of Jesus' arrest and crucifixion, I've often been amazed that he chose to pray for you and for me. That we were on his heart in the midst of his darkest hour, full of emotion, with sweat drops of blood dripping from his face. As we read in Luke 22, Jesus looked to heaven and he prayed. And John records this prayer in John 17. Here's what Jesus prayed. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those who you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. And to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, through the world, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus asked that God will love us the same way that he loved him. And Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the beloved Son of God, the bread of life, the creator of all things, the everlasting Father, the great I am. And on the last night of his life here on this earth, he prayed for us. Let's pray for the bread. Father, we thank you for the body of Christ. We thank you that he humbled himself, took on the very nature of a servant, did not consider equality with you something to be grasped or something to be exploited, but he made himself nothing, obedient to death, even death on a cross. Father, may we follow Jesus in this way. As we eat the bread, Father, we're reminded of the wonderful body of Christ that surrounds us and that participates in this communion meal with us, both here and around the world, past, present, future. It's in Jesus we pray, amen. The body of Christ given for you.
Let's pray for the cup. Father, we thank you for the blood of your son. Father, we pray that your kingdom come and your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Father, we can only take our next steps because of the sacrifice that you have made on our behalf. And we remember that sacrifice and we proclaim his death, his burial, and his resurrection until he comes again. Thank you for the cup which reminds us. It's in Jesus we pray, amen. The blood of Christ given for you. For those of you here in person in the center section, you received a little treat this morning. You had a hymn book that was here from the wedding last night. And as I was flipping through the hymn book, I was turning my attention to page 619. Or as we used to say in, back in the day, 619. Page 619, take time to be holy. I'm gonna invite our praise team if they'll be making their way up as I read these words. Take time to be holy. Speak oft with thy Lord. Abide in him always and feed on his word. Make friends of God's children. Help those who are weak, forgetting in nothing his blessing to see. Take time to be holy. The world Jesus alone. By looking to Jesus like him that shall be thy friends and thy conduct like his likeness shall see. Take time to be holy. Let him be thy God. And run not before him whatever be tied. In joy or in sorrow still follow thy Lord. And looking to Jesus still trust in his word. Take time to be holy. Be calm in thy soul. Each thought and each motive beneath his control. Thus led by his spirit to fountains of love, thou soon shalt be fitted for service above. In a moment, we're going to sing that hymn. And I want to encourage you, if you want to just do some business with God right where you're standing, then that's a great place. If you want to come down and see one of our shepherds who will be down front or one of our shepherds and his spouse, they'll be back here in this room to my left. If you're joining us online and there's a way that we can pray for you, I would encourage you to click, click on that connection card and let us know how we can be praying for you this week. Um, we have uh, a family visiting with us uh, who was longtime members here, uh, David and Elizabeth Newton. And after our class today, uh, Thomas Newton is going to be baptized into Christ, and we're thankful for that happening today as well. 
And what a joy to see you guys. And maybe today's the day that you want to make that confession and be baptized in him. We'd love to celebrate that with you as well. Let's go to God in prayer and then we'll stand and sing. Father, we thank you for the gifts of this day. We thank you for the gift of Christ in our lives. Father, help us to take time to be holy. Not that we can achieve perfection in our lives, but because of the perfect sacrifice of your son, we can live into that promise. And all of your promises are yes and amen, as we've already said. We thank you for this in Jesus' good name. And the church said, amen. Let's stand and sing.